National Party leader Christopher Luxon kicks off the country today. Uh, Chris, do you realise it was two weeks ago today when we last chatted, effectively on the eve of Cyclone Gabrielle hitting, and I don't think in our worst nightmares we could have believed it would be this bad. Yeah, no, I mean, absolutely, Jamie. I mean, it was, I was down in the south, and uh, you know, it was very summery, long nights, you know, very dry, needing water. And then through the next day, as I said to you, I was sort of in a house in Auckland ripping out carpet, and water had been up to a metre in, in, in the walls there. So, I mean, it's just been phenomenal weather um, over the country over the last month or so. And I've, I've travelled to most of the places, and, you know, the devastation is really, you know, quite something. Um, we have certainly seen the best of Kiwis, I think, supporting each other, but it's also a good reminder that we need to continually just be upgrading our emergency management responses and I saw something similar in the US when I lived there, you know, and Hurricane Katrina came through and it was poorly managed and then subsequently, you know, events after that got much better managed. People became much more, you know, self-aware, prepared themselves for them. Uh, the authorities gave much more advance notice, uh, was clear about what to do. Uh, and so, yeah, that's what we've got to do is continually upgrade it as well. We need to build a more climate-resistant New Zealand, and I'm talking around our infrastructure Better flood banks, better sea walls, uh, obviously not building on floodplains and all that sort of stuff. Is this going to be the great reset? Well, look, I mean, it's, a, it's an issue that's been sitting actually not just in New Zealand but around the world now for years. Um, and actually there hasn't been much conversation, frankly, in the last six years with this government about climate resilience and, and climate adaptation, as we call it. Um, but look, I mean, the key thing you've got to get right is the thinking and the thinking that underpins it, which is, OK, so we know we've got to actually build more climate um, resist, you know, resilient infrastructure, but we actually need to, and it's going to be an issue for decades, it's going to be an issue for multiple governments of multiple different colours. So that's why I've been saying let's work in a bipartisan way to get really clear about where does the burden sit in terms of is it with local property owners, is it with insurance companies, is it with ratepayers and councils, is it with central government and taxpayers, or a combination thereof, how much is actually paid for out of this generation versus next generation. And if you get those foundational principles right, then you can actually go forward on that basis saying, right, now we've got a program of investment and upgrading across the country, uh, and we know what we're doing. Um, and so it's important to get those principles straight, and that's what I'm very happy to work with the government on. Well, I'll tell you one thing for sure, it won't sit with the insurance companies. They will just pass on the cost uh, to the consumers. We are in a cost-of-living crisis. This is going to be very inflationary, I would think, the aftermath of Gabrielle. Yeah, it's going to be really lumpy. I mean, on one hand, you've got a big down elevator on economic growth because of um, forestry and because of horticulture being so impacted. On the other hand, as you said, yes, you've got you know 20% of our inflation numbers are actually driven by food prices. Uh, they will inevitably go up on the back of this because there's less supply. Um, we've also got 10% of it driven by building and construction and another 10% driven really by rental increases or rental inflation. And so when you've got less houses, um, that puts more pressure on rents. When you've got a lot of houses to be built, there'll be more building and construction. So... You know, in many ways, it's it's a down elevator on economic growth, and it's an it's an up elevator on inflation, um, and so that's why um, it's really important that we ring fence the money. We get really clear about how much it is. Um, we don't have an open checkbook like the government did on COVID. Uh, we say this is the tart, this is the price, and then then we've got to get on and actually get that built uh, and get stuff done because. You know, you and I know, you know, it just takes too long. I mean, um, you know, we cannot be talking in two years' time about 15 bridges that haven't been built that has to get done and it has to get delivered. And 
Kaikoura was a good example for me. This is Kaikoura on steroids. You know, essentially it was, you know, really fast response, well put together. Uh, the hard infrastructure was built back, and there was a massive focus on it. But it was delivered well um, and on, you know, in budget and, and done well. So, you know, we can do it. We know how to do it. It's just um, we've got to take the playbooks uh, from previous disasters. Right. Let's have a look at Three Waters or the artist formerly known as Three Waters. Everyone seems to have dumped that name, dumped co-governance. You've come up over the weekend with your solution, local water done well. And I think it's fine. You've got rid of the co-governance. You've put ownership back to the councils. But isn't that ultimately just the ratepayers going to have to fork out for it? Yeah, no, what we've said here is, look, four things. One is we're going to, you know, repeal the three waters legislation our first 100 days. And we're going to scrap the four co-governed mega entities. Um, secondly, we are going to push the ownership back to the local councils and their control because they own the assets. The ratepayers are paid for them. That's where it should sit. But there's three things that we're going to add to it. The first is we're going to have uh, you know, a couple of guard guardrails and riverbanks, which is first and foremost around water quality, making sure we set and enforce the right standards. And on the other side, we need to have a water infrastructure regulator that makes sure that councils are investing that money uh, for water assets in water assets rather than investing in vanity projects or parks or libraries. As important as they are, uh, they've seen underinvestment because councils have taken money from uh, from water and put it into other places when they shouldn't have done that. So we'll, we'll just run that through the Commerce Commission, a bit like we do broadband and electricity pricing, make sure there's fair pricing and then there's good investment from the councils for the future that's needed. And then the third thing, which is really the, the game changer is the, the trick here is that the problem has been that councils are funding their water infrastructure investments out of their cash savings or reserves in any given year. And the point is when you go buy a house and you're in it for 30 years, you go take a mortgage for 30 years. And so you match the long-term financing up with the long-term nature of that asset. And then you pay a little bit off each and every year. And that way you're sure that you're actually going to end up with a quality asset, a house at the end of it. But you can't go buy a house just with the savings that you've had in any given year, obviously. So that's been the fundamental challenge that the councils have faced. So we want to be able to give councils access to long-term debt funding that matches up to the life of these assets. And these assets often are around for 50 years or so. So um, that's the, that means that then they can make sure they've got the right level of investment to make sure that we're getting the right quality of water uh, as we go forward. Hey, what are you going to do about all the highly paid bureaucrats who have already been employed <laughs> for those four mega entities? Well, I mean, I see Chris Hipkins is trying to change the name from Labor's Three Waters uh, reforms uh, to something else. He can change the name. He tried to do the same thing on co-governance. But the reality is we haven't seen the substance of what he's actually proposing. Uh, there's been no other change uh, beyond just changing the name or the title of this thing. So, um, look, here's the deal. I mean, there is no doubt about it. I mean, the Labor model is just four big mega entities, lots of bureaucracy. At one point, they're talking about 9,000 extra people on top of everyone else who works in Three Waters today in New Zealand. Very convoluted governance and management structure and we just know that centralisation and you know like we've seen with this government around the polytechnics you know Tipukinga is a classic $200 million you know, disaster. Uh, you know, it doesn't work. It just adds cost and bureaucracy. And so there is a different way through. And um, you know, that's, that we think we've got the model right. That's why the public and, and the councils have been highly supportive of us. Christopher Luxon, thanks for your time on the country. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. Take care, Jamie.